Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome, everyone. I am Nisi Edwards, and I am the host of the Pain-Free Zone. And on today's show, we are talking about coping. How do you cope when you have a chronic illness? You know, that's not something that many people really think about in terms of how they cope. And the reason why I say that is because you just go through the day-to-day. You're just functioning. All you know is you have a chronic illness, and you're just trying to get through it. I want to get started by sharing with you uh, some statistics. So when it comes down to chronic pain, for example, 100 million Americans suffer with chronic pain. And that source is the Institute of Medicine report from the Committee on Advancing Pain Research, Care, and Education, Relieving Pain in America. And diabetes, diagnosed and estimated as well as undiagnosed, 25.8 million Americans. And the source for that statistic is the American Diabetes Association. Coronary heart disease, 16.3 million Americans have heart disease. And uh, cancer, 11.9 million Americas. Americans, And that's according to the American Cancer Society. And those are huge numbers. So one in 10 Americans have experienced pain every day for three months of more. Uh, it could be low back pain. It can be headache, migraines, neck pain, facial pain, um, whatever it is. So my question to you is, how do you cope? When you have a chronic illness, how do you manage? Chronic diseases are the leading cause of death and disability in the United States. It's about 130, 133 million Americans, which is 45% of the population, have at least one chronic disease. And chronic diseases are responsible for seven out of every 10 deaths in the U.S., killing more than 1.7 million Americans every year. So chronic diseases, we know they can be disabling and they can also reduce your quality of life, especially if left undiagnosed or untreated. So think about that. So for example, every 30 seconds, a lower limb is amputated as a consequence of diabetes. So if left untreated and you don't get the health, I mean, if left untreated and you don't get the help that you need, then that will greatly impact your quality of life. So these numbers are disheartening because around 80% of the people dying from chronic um, non-communicable diseases live in the developing world. In 2002, the number of people dying from cancer worldwide was 7.6 million. That was greater than the 5.6 million dying from HIV, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. And I'm sad 
to say this, but the situation looks even worse in women. And I think that's because, you know, many people, we get so caught up in our day to day. I mean, there are several factors for why people don't get medical care and treatment. We already know that, number one, if you don't have insurance, it's hard for you to get medical care and treatment because if you don't have insurance, it's not like you can just go to a doctor's office and they're going to treat you without insurance. You may be lucky in some cases if you go to a physician's office and they see you one time. But after that, if you don't have uh, an active uh, health insurance, they really don't want to treat you. Now, it's different if you, you know, are financially set where you can afford to pay for your medical treatment. Then that places you in a totally different category. You are then referred to as a self-pay patient. And uh, a lot of doctors and hospitals love self-pay patients because they don't have to deal with your insurance carrier. It's just you paying for your care. But everyone is not in a position to do that. Everyone cannot afford to pay for their own medical care and treatment. So how do you cope? That's my question. How are you coping? And um, I want us to have that discussion. And if you want to join our listener line and call in, our listener line is 888 888- Four six three six seven four eight or eight 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 go for it. So when you think about the economic impact of chronic diseases, I want you to know that more than seventy five percent of all healthcare costs are due to chronic conditions. Four of the five most expensive health conditions in a given year in the U.S. are chronic conditions, heart disease, cancer, mental disorders, and pulmonary conditions, um, as well as cancer, diabetes, hypertension, stroke. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, that statistic was taken from the National Center for Health Statistics, as well as the Centers for Disease Control and, Pre- and Prevention. But the list goes on and on because... You can have, for example, fibromyalgia, which is a chronic illness. It's known as the invisible uh, disorder because you can't look at someone and see that they're in constant chronic pain. It's invisible. And sometimes when you have an invisible disorder, people may not believe you when you say that you have a chronic illness because the first thing they'll say is, you don't look like you're ill, you look healthy. And you can't judge a book by its cover because you don't know. So in society, we value people who are strong and energetic. That's what they see. Many employers, for example, uh, turn their backs on disabled people. So according to the U.S. Department of Labor in 2016, 20% of people with a disability participated in our labor force. And 60, about 68.5% of people without a disability participated in the labor force. So in the workforce, we have underrepresentation of people with disabilities in the workplace. So employers are missing out on talent just because I may have a chronic illness or you may have a chronic illness. We're still talented workers. We're still talented workers who have a valuable skill set that can enhance an employer's business. And so that's why I asked, how are you coping? Because when you have a chronic illness, 
there are so many challenges that you have to deal with. One of the challenges that you have to deal with are the emotional challenges. In addition to the emotional challenges, there are the physical challenges. I mean, there's also spiritual challenges and the list goes on and on. So when I mention emotional challenges, you know, let's say that you're someone that's still in the workplace and you're able right now to hold down a job. So as a worker, it takes a huge toll on you as you are trying to perform at a high level. So your physical challenges you may have discovered are getting in the way of, you know, your ability, your ability to perform or high, high performance on the job, especially if you're someone that's used to always performing at a high level and then something happens and you develop a chronic illness and you're not able to perform at such a high level. You may fall short. And then there's the stress, you know, stress in general. There's social isolation, you know, because you fear disclosing your condition to your colleagues. You're fearful that it will be used against you. You stress about missing work days. Uh, you also stress about is your job security going to be threatened? So when I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, in 2014, emotional challenges is what I dealt with every single day. So at the time um, when I was having a lot of chronic pain, this goes actually back to 2012 and then it intensified come 2014. At that time, before I was diagnosed, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I had these physical challenges. Uh, I found that there was times that my performance was not as high as it used to be. I kept working hard to get the job done. The challenges stem from no matter how hard I work to get the job done, the fatigue, the pain, the lack of sleep. You know, I had difficulty sometimes keeping up, not all the time, but, you know, a lot of times I did trying to stay focused. I knew that there was something wrong with me, but I didn't know what it was. And many of you may be experiencing these types of challenges today. So if you're working or if you're someone that used to work, it takes a humongous toll on you to perform at a high level when you have a chronic illness, because you may be someone that's constantly exhausted and it feels as though you're treading water. And every now and then, <laughs> you know, you're trying to come up for air. You're trying to breathe. Sometimes what I used to do to cope was to work, you know, longer hours. And I tried to work longer hours to compensate and make up for the time of the days when I felt that I was moving slower or I had difficulty just trying to focus. But you know what? I discovered working longer hours, it didn't help me because my employer didn't appreciate me working longer hours. I remember even having discussions with my employer that um, I had an illness. Uh, I didn't disclose what the illness was. At the time, I didn't know that it was fibromyalgia. But even if I did, I probably at that time would not have disclosed what it was. I did share with them that I did have a chronic illness. And the reason why, if I knew what it was, I would not have been open to disclosing that is because what eventually happened to me is, my job security was threatened. I remember once when I had a conversation about uh, I had an illness 
and I wanted um, to find another position internally within the company, my job security wasn't threatened. I mean, my job security was threatened. How it was threatened was I was requested, firmly requested, to step down from my current position and uh, reporting to the people who were bullying me. Now, you're talking about emotional uh, challenge, um, mental challenge. That was huge stress. If you can imagine working on a job where you're bullied for two and a half years and you're having um, some health issues and you recognize that something in your life has changed, you know that you're no, you're the same person, but you have these, you know, these challenges physically. You have physical limitations and you're trying to have a conversation with someone in senior management about, you know, doing something different within the company. And then imagine for one moment that this is you. You're having this conversation with your senior manager that you have a chronic illness. And although you're thankful to be employed, you recognize that you need to do something different because it's just taken a huge toll on your health. Now imagine how you would feel when you do that if they then turn around and report you to human resources because that is what happened to me. So that's why I said that I would not have even revealed to them what the true nature of my illness was because at the time, in the beginning, I didn't know that I had fibro. I just knew something was different. And even when I had that conversation with my employer that I was looking to do something else within the company, that was not well received. They literally threatened my job security. And uh, that took an emotional toll on my health because you start to think about, okay, oh my goodness, all right, they're trying to fire me. They're trying to do away with me. You start thinking about how you're going to survive. You have bills. Let's say you're a homeowner. You know, just the basic things that everyone else goes through, paying your bills, putting food on the table, helping to support your family, all those things. Those types of challenges really will take a toll on you. So that's why I said, how are you coping? So right now we're talking about emotional challenges. And so we're getting ready to go uh, and have a brief break and we'll be right back. And you're listening to The Pain-Free Zone. Welcome back to the Pain-Free Zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back. I'm Nisi Edwards, and on the Pain-Free Zone, today we're talking about coping skills when you have a chronic illness. If you would like to join me live on the air, please contact our listener line at 888-463-6748, or you can just dial 888-GO-FOR-IT. So we're talking about coping. So right now we're talking about, you know, the emotional challenges. So I shared with you all about how I had disclosed to my senior manager that I was having some health challenges and that I wanted, you know, another position internally. And uh, he was not receptive to it. And he reported me to human resources and they requested that I step down from my role and report into the other supervisors whom had been bullying me for two and a half years. And I refused to do that. Uh, because number one, I was already having issues on the job with being bullied, dealing with a chronic illness. And now you're asking me to step away and to step down 
and report into the people who are bullying me. There was no way in the world I was going to do that. And so they made my, my life a living hell each and every day. It was always something new on the job, always something new that they would pull. And so when I refused to um, step down from my position, that didn't sit too well with them. Um, they, I just felt it, you know, that they didn't just, they didn't value me. They didn't value my skill sets or what I brought to the table. They simply didn't. I was viewed as someone who couldn't get the job done. And uh, I remember my senior manager once telling me that my colleagues earned brownie points, but um, I didn't earn any. And um, in spite of my physical challenges, um, I knew deep down inside that I was capable of high performance because that's how I always perform. So I, you know, in the beginning, I felt like a failure and I didn't know whom to turn to for for assistance because there was no one around me that I can turn to, number one, that I can even trust. Because when you have a chronic illness, you know, some of the things that you fear is, okay, whom can I share this with? Who will respect me and keep my privacy? You know, don't share it. I didn't have anyone. So when you are, you know, Thinking about coping, how do you cope? How do you cope with these emotional challenges? Because they, like I mentioned, they took a toll on me. And eventually, I wound up leaving the position um, because my chronic illness matters got worse for me. And uh, I wound up going on um, medical leave. So those are, you know, some of the emotional challenges that you will face if not many others, then there are spiritual challenges. So I don't know what your faith is. That's between you and your higher power. But sometimes there are, you know, spiritual challenges. For me, it was a big spiritual challenge because um, I was praying constantly to God about what I was enduring. And I, you know, and I wanted to get out of this situation. And at times it seemed that God was silent and I wasn't hearing from him. Um, you know, so that was a, a source of, of, of stress too, uh, a big source of stress for me. Um, but I'm going to tell you what I discovered. Suffering produces intimacy with God. For me, it did. So God was the only source I had outside of my family that I can turn to, you know, and to just share and just get it out what was in my heart, the things that was bothering me. And I knew that one day, I would be delivered from that toxic working environment. Of course, I didn't know when, but you have to have faith. So my question to you was, how are you coping? What are you doing? What are the, some of the things that you are doing or have done to help you cope with your illness? You know, because I want everyone that listens to this show to have a quality life. I want you to take care of you inside and out, body, mind, spirit, and soul. I really want you to take good care of you and I want you to be able to cope and to get the hair, get the, get the help that you need. So, you know, those emotional challenges can lead to, um, 
depression. It can lead to so many different things. It can lead to, um, you know, that feeling of being isolated. And sometimes you feel isolated because no one seems to get you. No one seems to understand what you're going through. No one seems to get it but you. And, um, you know, it can feel as if you have a lonely existence. But here is what I learned in terms of coping. What I learned about coping is that um, you have to develop a plan of action, a plan that's going to work for you. Your plan in terms of how you cope and how I cope may be two different things. So the goal is for you to figure out what you need to do for you to get the help that you need. Um, And so some of the things that I started doing was number one, prayer. That's always at the top of the list for me. I worship. And then I started doing meditation because I found that um, with meditation, it started quieting my mind. Because if you think about it, when you have a, a chronic illness, think about some of the things that you have said to yourself about yourself. Have you always been kind? Um, have you, um, practice self-care because sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Sometimes what happens is that we don't show love to ourselves. We we simply don't. And sometimes we don't even take care of our bodies. And did you know that some people take better care of their automobiles than they take care of their bodies? Think about it. What, what do we value? What are we saying about ourselves? Are we saying that because we have a chronic illness, we're not worth loving anymore? If that's you, Please stop doing it because you need to value yourself. I don't care if nobody else values you or respects you. You respect you. You value yourself because I'm a firm believer in that what we say about ourselves and what we say to ourselves, we are putting that energy out there and we're going to attract more of that. So if you want to attract Um, more love, more support, put that out there in the atmosphere. So when you encounter others that may be in need, you know, hopefully you are someone that's very supportive of them. Um, For me is made me a more empathetic person because when I, when I look at people, you know, I look at them, the the entire being, I, I look at them in such a way that I don't know. It seems that, I can feel sometimes their own emotions. It's, it's, so, it's a weird thing to express, but I re- have recall meeting people for the first time. And I didn't know them, but, you know, I could feel something, the energy. I can feel sometimes, you know, if they're sad, if they're feeling down and discouraged. And I really feel that I'm able to tap into that because of my own experience with chronic illness it's definitely made me more empathetic and sympathetic towards other people. Um, I want to help way more people than ever before because I don't want anyone to go through what I had to go through. So when it comes down to your coping skills, I want you to develop your own my bowl toolkit, which is a way of saying your mind body toolkit because see chronic illness in order to cope, you've got to cope body, mind, spirit, and soul. 
because it's going to affect you in some way or another. It could be uh, affecting you on the home front. You know, you could be someone that, you know, at home, you don't have a support system. You know, people don't understand you. People don't believe you. You know, people don't believe you when you say that you don't feel good. People don't believe you when you say you have a chronic illness. People don't believe you when, you know, there are certain things you just can't do any longer or you can't do at the level you used to be able to do. So one of those examples would be fatigue. Fatigue is a really big factor in managing a chronic illness. Many people have experienced fatigue, right? But fatigue and chronic fatigue, um, they are two different things. Some people, you know, experience fatigue and they may go to bed early, wake up in the morning, they feel refreshed. But when you have a chronic illness, fatigue kicks in. And sometimes no matter how many hours of sleep you get, you still wake up feeling fatigue. You go to bed fatigue, you wake up fatigue. And you just feel drained. You just don't have the energy to do anything. It's, it's, it feels as though you're walking in quicksand. And um, when I experience, you know, when I have a very bad fibromyalgia flare, it exhausts me. Um, and this flare can overwhelm me anywhere from 30 minutes. It can be from 30 minutes. It can be days. And I've even had months where I've had a really bad, painful flare where it just just knocked all the energy and strength out of me. So living with a chronic illness, you know, it's just uh, a variety of challenges. You know, daily living, for example, um, limitations in your daily activities. So let's say you were someone that was uh, over the PTA, for example. You know, you were just very engaged, very energetic. You know, you were out there busy in the community, you were the go-to person, for example. Maybe you wasn't in the PTA. I was just using that as an example. Let's say that you were really active in the community, very active in your family. You were the go-to person, you know, because you, hey, you, you were the person they would go to to get things done. But then you develop a chronic illness, and then you've started experiencing challenges and certain things you can't do anymore. So I've talked to a lot of cancer patients, for example, and I know a lot about that because my father was a um, he was a lung cancer patient. And I witnessed him, how his health just declines over a period of time. My dad was oh, about six two. He weighed over 250 pounds. He um, received chemotherapy as well as radiation therapy. It didn't help him. He had a lot of challenges. So if you can imagine with the radiation therapy, how the radiation burns your skin and how painful that is, then you're on chemotherapy and then you have the digestive issues, the bowel issues, you're lethargic, you just don't have any energy. And my dad, when he was diagnosed with lung cancer, he was given uh, three months to live. Um, it started out as um, a sore throat. And um, we had a second opinion because this sore throat and cough persisted over 30 days. And then he was diagnosed with uh, advanced lung cancer where it had metastasized to um, his lungs and then to his brain. And um, when it came down to coping, 
I did everything. My mom and I did everything we could possibly do to keep my dad comfortable. And um, my dad, he outlived the three months they had given him. He lived for three years. And uh, when he passed away, if you can imagine going from 250 pounds to weighing 70 pounds. So that cancer took a big toll on his health, uh, a, a big toll. So it's important that we learn coping skills. It's important that you get the help that you need, not just for the physical, but also for the mental. You, the patient, as well as you, the caregiver and the family members, so that we can all come together and to support one another and our loved one to give them the support that they need. So we're getting ready to take an, another break and we'll be right back. We have uh, lots to share about coping with chronic illness. Now, let's get back to the pain-free zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back to the Pain-Free Zone. I'm Nisi Edwards, and today we're talking about uh, coping. How do you cope when you have a chronic illness? I would love for you to join me on the air. The phone number is 888-463-6748 or 888-GO-FOR-IT. So we were, um, right before we went to break, I was sharing with you uh, about my father. When he was diagnosed with um, lung cancer, he was a heavy smoker and And that's why he had the lung cancer and and it had metastasized to his brain and then to his heart. And then he uh, eventually lost eyesight in one of his eyes. Uh, So coping, you know, the person that's going through it, whom has a chronic illness, needs to learn how to cope. The family members, the loved ones need to learn how to cope too. Because if you are the go-to person, for example, in your family, the the one that was always active and, and being there for everyone else, you know, some families I've learned that they don't really know how to support you when you have a chronic illness. They They really don't. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. And especially when you have an invisible disorder, uh, people sometimes will say crazy things. So for example, uh, an invisible disorder is one that's not visible. So if you see someone in a wheelchair, for example, you know, or on a crutch, has a cast on their feet, or, you know, you can look at them and you'll say, oh, that person has um, mobility issues. That person is uh, disabled. But if you're someone um, that has fibromyalgia or other types of cancer where you can't look at the person and see that that visibly there is something wrong with them. You really don't get it. You really don't understand. And I've had people tell me, for example, oh, well, and this goes back to when I was working. So if I had to take a day off, and I'll take it a step further, when I went on disability, that was a fight getting that approved with my employer. And I work for... um, you know, I worked in corporate America when it came down into the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, here I am working for this large conglomerate and I have a chronic illness and I'm requesting, you know, to short term disability. And initially they did not want to approve it. I had to jump through so many 
oh, loopholes to get that. Um, even though my physician completed the paperwork timely, they would literally play games sometimes, such as they say fax the paperwork in, you fax the paperwork in, they say they didn't get the paperwork. Even though you have your fax confirmations, they would fax it again in my physician's office, they would still say that they didn't get it, or they would say they received some of the pages, but not all of the pages. And then I would turn around and fax it. And so finally, it got to the point where, you know, I told them, look, I really think that this is your way of punishing me, that you're doing everything within your power and your control to get me so frustrated and fed up that you think I'm going to just walk away and quit. And if you think I'm about to do that and allow you to get away with it, absolutely not. When your back gets up against a wall, you will learn how to cope quickly. In my case, I just got fed up with the nonsense. I knew what they were trying to do to me. And so I began to fight back. And how I felt back was, number one, every time I went to the doctor's office and there was a, a medical report that needed to go uh, for my um, short term to be approved, I always told the doctors, I want a copy of it. I'm going to follow up with it to make certain that it has received. So you've got to become, to properly cope, you've got to become your own health advocate. You've got to become your own paralegal. You've got to become whatever you need to become to get the job done so that you can cope. So what I started doing was gathering all the paperwork because when they complete your disability for a short term in the beginning, the, the doctor may certify, okay, for the next 30 days or the next 90 days, you need to be off work. Okay, although you already know and, and the doctor has already shared with you that the odds are you're not going to be able to return to work in, in three to six months or nine months. But you already know that your employer, if the doctor puts out there, oh, for 12 months, odds are many of them are not going to want to accept it. So you may have to play this game where you do it so many months at a time. All right. Also, be careful what you say to them on the phone, because sometimes they will try to ask you questions and just screw you up, hoping that you're going to say the wrong thing as if. You know, you're pretending that you are uh, ill when you're not. Be mindful of that. Be mindful of making certain that the doctor completes the paperwork, that the doctor has ample amount of time to complete that paperwork. Make certain that each time you go to the doctor's office that they are documenting what your symptoms are, okay, just because sometimes doctors get so busy, they may not put down different things. So, for example, let's say that you were approved for uh, 60 days to be off. During those 60 days that you were off work, you had a new complication. All right. Let's say that you also had an adverse reaction uh, to meds. Whatever it is, make certain that they are documenting that because the company the medical administrator that's overseeing your short-term or long-term disability policy, that claim, they're looking at those report of findings. So make certain that in those report of findings, it is outlined how well you're doing. Are you progressing? If you're not progressing, 
you know, they need to put it in there to help support your case why you are unable to work. That's one way in which you cope, because if you know that, hey, you can't go back to work right now, you got to figure out how you're going to cope. And one way you're going to cope is making certain that your paperwork is in order. If you're someone that's not at that stage yet, that you're ready to go out on medical leave, request a workplace modification. Okay, because maybe you're someone that, you know, your job will allow you to work from home. So I have a friend who has a um, mental nervous condition and she also has a chronic pain condition and her employer allows her to work from home one to two days a week. That works well for her, especially, you know, for those days that when she wakes up in the morning, she's having a really hard time coping. And she just needs, you know, to maybe lay in bed a little bit longer or just simply work from home where she doesn't have to be around people. She can be comfortable. She can be in her pajamas and still work. So ask for a workplace modification. Um, again, another way to cope is to know your patient rights. You know, um, You've got to know what your rights are on that job. You have to look at your benefits that your employer offers. So when I mentioned about being on short-term disability, after six months, your short-term disability uh, ends. So now you're looking at long-term disability. And the rules for short-term versus long-term sometimes is a little bit different because when you say long-term disability with your employer where you're not able to work after six months. They are looking for hard, conclusive evidence, medical information to prove or support that finding. And I'm going to share something with you. It Sometimes they will not accept what your primary care physician states. Sometimes they will tell you they want you to see a specialist. So um, if you're a cancer patient, you know, maybe the oncologist that you're seeing, which is a specialist. If you're someone with um, fibromyalgia or arthritis, you know, it's going to be the rheumatologist or maybe even functional medicine doctor that you're going to be treating with. And they're the ones that you need to be following up with to com- complete that paperwork. And the reason for that is because some of these companies don't, really want to take the word of the primary care physician. They want someone that they'll say uh, who is specialized in this area to complete the paperwork. So when you're going from doctor to doctor, so you have your primary care physician and then you have your specialist, make certain again that each one is properly documenting, okay, how you are doing, any new challenges, uh, any new illnesses. So perfect example, I um, was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, but then I uh, developed type 2 diabetes. So I had to ensure that that was in my records from each doctor. It was the endocrinologist who diagnosed me. Um, I'm sorry, not endocrinologist. It was the functional medicine physician who diagnosed me with diabetes. I in turn followed up with my primary care physician as well as my rheumatologist and made certain that they forwarded my medical records 
those report of findings to each one of those doctors so they can have it in their records. Because, again, you're building a case. You're building a case to justify why you are physically unable to work. And documentation, you have to have all that. So in order to cope and in order to truly move forward and be healthy and whole body, mind, and spirit, uh, acceptance of your condition is the first thing you must come to grip with. Now, when I say acceptance, I'm not talking about acceptance as in, okay, this is what the doctor said I have. Woe is me. There is no help for me. No, when I say acceptance, I'm speaking of, okay, whatever the diagnosis is that they may say it is. Learn as much as you can about that disease. Do your homework educate yourself, and then come up with a plan as to how you are going to move forward. So when I found out that my diagnosis was fibromyalgia, in the beginning, I was very angry. I didn't want to accept it. And um, the facility where I was treating with at the time was Marion Joy in Oak Brook. And we had a really good conversation in our uh, support group about acceptance. And they taught us that acceptance is not meaning it's the end of the world because you have this condition and that you've given up all hope. No, acceptance simply means that, okay, this is what it is. I may not agree with it, but I'm going to learn about it so that I can educate myself. So that's what that means. So what I started doing was I did a ton of research. I even interviewed people about their journey with fibromyalgia. And then I use, you know, myself as my own personal guinea pig, you know, to figure out what was going to work for me. So with your coping skills, you need to come up with a plan of action. So for me, um, I had been on the Lyrica, the, the Cymbalta, the Gabapentin, all these other medications. None of them work for me. If anything, they created more problems. Um, for the, for the RA, they said that I had a rheumatoid arthritis and they had me on a Humira. That didn't work for me either. Then come find out, uh, several years later, I didn't have rheumatoid arthritis. So I knew for me that being on all these drugs and medications, I'm not knocking them, but they don't work for me and they're not for me. So I knew that I had to develop a plan of action that was going to work best for me in terms of how to move forward. So we're getting ready to go on a brief break and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Pain-Free Zone on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Nisi Edwards. Welcome back to The Pain-Free Zone. On today's show, we're talking about coping skills. So where we left off was I had mentioned that sometimes you have to become your own guinea pig to figure out um, a plan that's going to work for you. So for me, you know, the Lyrica, the Cymbalta, the Gabapens, the, the Humira, and all the other drugs didn't work for me. And I didn't want to go down that that route any longer because all those side effects, all they did was made me, you know, increasingly ill. I was worse off. So what I recommend that you do is I want you to start keeping a journal. Keep a journal um, of, you know, chronicling your, your food intake. So keep a journal and on your journal, you're going to include 
what you ate. In addition to that, what medications you're on, uh, any adverse reactions you've noticed from taking these drugs. So maybe, you know, maybe you ate a chicken sandwich at uh, for lunch and, you know, you took XYZ drug and you notice you started feeling a certain way or you had an allergic reaction, whatever it is, start keeping a journal of your foods that you're eating, the medications you prescribe. And if you've noticed any side effects, I want you to um, track that along with your mood. How does it make you feel? Uh, also, you're going to track your sleeping patterns, your sleeping habits. What does that feel like? You're going to also look at um, supplements you may be using. You're going to track that too. Uh, also, you're going to track exercises that you're doing, the frequency of them, and how many days a week. You need to keep that journal for all of that. So I noticed for me that when I became diagnosed with fibromyalgia, certain foods, I just couldn't digest well anymore. Uh, I noticed that, for example, beef sometimes totally disagreed with me. Had I not kept that journal over a period of time, you know, and was able to go back and see the patterns, um, I may not have picked it up. So having that journal is going to help you for when you go to the physician's office and they're asking you, well, how are you doing? How many hours of sleep that you're getting? Um, you'll have it at your fingertips. You'll be able to tell them. You'll be able to say, hey, doc, I noticed that I had chicken, beef, whatever it is for lunch. And I took this new drug that you prescribed me on this date and at this time. And I started having this adverse reaction. You know, I started, for example, developing the rash or I became more hyper. But when I was on the other medication, I didn't have this. See, all that is information your doctor needs to know. Uh, and if you have it in a journal, it's going to be easier for them, um, you know, to, to be aware of it because you're going to be able to easily remember it. All right. What was really big for me in coping with this and dealing with my mindset was setting intentions. Okay. So, um, you set an intention and a goal to move forward and to not allow your chronic illness to take over your life. Because see, for many people, chronic illness has taken over their life. All they know is pain. Okay. I, I don't want that to be you anymore. In the beginning, that was me because that's all I knew. I woke up with pain. I went to bed with pain. When I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I had pain. My whole life was consumed with pain. And that got old really quickly. And I didn't like how that made me feel. And then I realized that my mindset seemed to be fueling and intensifying my pain. And so I experimented one day and I said, you know what? I'm going to start setting intentions. Okay. And I'm going to set an attention how I'm going to start each point of my day. And what I did was I started getting up in the morning and saying, okay, I will have a good day in spite of pain. Pain no longer has any control over authority over me. Say it with conviction. And I'm going to say it again. Pain, if this is you, I want you to say it with conviction. Pain no longer has any control over me. And when I would do that every day, just like now, I felt something inside of me shifting. Because see, your body hears and feels everything that you say. 
So if you're saying negative things to yourself and about yourself, your mind and your body hears that too. And that's going to affect how you start feeling. And, you know, I kept doing that every single day, every single day, not just once a day, sometimes two and three times a day, along with praying. Okay, I was doing that, too. And I'm going to tell you something. Within 30 to 45 days, I started seeing the change in me. I had a little bit more pep in my step. I started to feel better about myself. Uh, My sister one time, she said to me when we were talking on the phone, she says, you know, you sound better today. She says, did you find a new doctor? What did you do differently? Something's changed. And I says, what are you talking about? And she said, um, her name is Calistine. And she said, well, you know, usually when I talk to you, you're really sad and you're just down and you sound really depressed. But today I've talked to you. I've noticed the last several days. You're a little bit more happier. You sound more upbeat. You seem like you're getting back to your old self. So so what's new? Is it a new doctor? What is it? And then I realized, ding, 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 I realized what it was. It was me, the shift that I had made, setting those intentions. Then I went to my doctor and uh, he said to me, wow, you look totally different. And I says, well, what do you mean? How do I normally look? He says, well, what he says, what I mean is, you know, you just look like a totally different person. You know, you just seem more at ease, more relaxed, more calmer. And then I realized, OK, this is working because see, words have power. OK, whether you're a Christian or not, but this is my favorite scripture. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And that's in Proverbs um, 18 chapter verse 21. So your prayers and your words, they have more power and a greater anointing when your everyday life is filled with words that lift you up and bring grace to others. So I was very mindful of the things that I said to myself and about myself. I was very mindful about the people that I allowed in my space. So if it was someone that was a family member that was, very negative. Um, you know, I watched my interaction with them because I didn't want to bring them down. So just be mindful who you allow into your space because they have energies and you don't want to pick up any negative energies. Then, so I'm setting daily intentions, right? I mentioned that in prayer meditation. So then I started exercising. And people say when you have a chronic illness, you know, you may do more harm than good. And they tell you that all the time with fibromyalgia. But, you know, in the beginning, it was really hard for me to work out and exercise. But I pushed myself. Even when I didn't feel like doing it, I did it anyway. And then I would set another intention. And then I would say to myself that exercise is good for my body. It feels good. I am helping myself to heal. So I started, you know, First, it was like 15 minutes. That's all the energy that I had. And then I worked up where I was able to work out for longer periods of time. Okay, next, I learned a lot about uh, Tai Chi. And I really, really love Tai Chi because those slow, gentle movements, oh, they do so much for the body, the mind, and the spirit. And um, 
um, I met someone by the name of Ron Pfeiffer um, at a Tai Chi studio that he owns in Burlington, Wisconsin. And I had my first Tai Chi, official Tai Chi lesson. It was in July of August of 2017. And um, they do these Tai Chi lessons um, at various locations. And the location that I went to was at the Moose Lodge, which was in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And uh, I discovered something with Tai Chi. It helps you sleep really well. I thought, wow, this is awesome. And then first I thought, um, maybe that was a fluke thing. But you know what? I kept trying it. And you know what? To this day, I still do Tai Chi. And my friends, my advice to you when it comes down to coping skills is to find something that's going to work for you and do it consistently. You may be someone that don't like exercising, but it's so good for the body. Figure out what you can do. Okay. For me, for example, Tai Chi, I love it. And I'm going to tell you something. Not only is it good for the, the mind and the spirit, it does wonders for the body. I've started losing weight and I just feel so good all over my entire body. So the key to coping is to develop a plan that's going to support you, body, mind, spirit, and soul, and to uh, do what you need to do to move forward. I mean, what do you have to lose, right? I mean, you've tried so many other things. Maybe you're someone that's tried all these opioids and all these other drugs, and they're not working, just like it didn't work for me, okay? Put together your own toolkit. In my toolkit, I have Tai Chi. I have my meditation. I do tapping, emotional freedom technique, and we're going to talk more about that another date and time. I use essential oils. I watch what I eat. I make my own smoothies, green smoothies. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do that you have at your fingertips, things that you probably have not even considered. So that's our show for today. And you've been listening to Nisi Edwards on the Pain-Free Zone. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.